May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. I want to start by apologising to the Catholics. This is going to be longer than one of Father Mark's homilies. I can't possibly compete with one of those. Today I've been asked to talk a bit about uh, being Franciscan and Lent. And while I carry a lofty title within the Anglican Franciscans, and yes, there are Anglican Franciscans, there are also Lutheran Franciscans, Lutheran Franciscans within the Anglican Franciscans and Lutheran Franciscans on their own in the United States, and there are Franciscans of all kinds of denominations. While I have this lofty title, uh, I don't feel, in all humility, able to offer much more than a Franciscan reflection on Lent. And so that is what I'm going to seek to do. A Franciscan is uh, called, there should be a picture lurking up, <coughs> a Franciscan is someone who was called to walk in the footsteps of Francis and Claire of Assisi as they walked in the footsteps of Christ. It is a particular way of walking. And it all starts with St. Francis. Giovanni, born in the late 1100s in a small city of Assisi in Umbria in Italy. And uh, he was the son of a new thing, a wealthy middle-class merchant. There had been merchants, but this emerging thing called the middle class was a new and exciting thing, and to have wealthy middle-class people, well, that was very interesting. And then we had that Francis, or Giovanni, could, well, he was a bit of a lad. He was a playboy. The king of the young men of Assisi, he was called, and he loved to party. He had big dreams. One day he was going to be a famous knight, and he would rescue his lady in distress. He loved the French troubadours who would tour Europe and sing about these ladies. And he loved the way they sang and the way they dressed. He loved all things French. And so he was nicknamed... Francesco, Frenchy. He's one of the only saints to be known by his nickname and not by his baptismal name. Well, his father amused him, even though he preferred that he'd learned the cloth trade. And when Assisi went to war with Perugia, when Francis was about 20 years old, Francis was kitted out in the latest gear, and off he went to win glory and honour to be a famous knight. Except it all turned pear-shaped. Assisi was thumped and he ended up in prison for a year. The next picture can go up now. While he was in prison, he got really sick. Eventually his father ransomed him. And uh, he was uh, spent another year convalescing. That king of the young man of Assisi never really returned. He tried, but his heart wasn't in it. As he spent hours in the countryside convalescing, as he spent hours in his room on his own, as he spent hours in churches praying, his heart was slowly changed. This picture is, uh, is from the frescoes in the Basilica of St. Uh, Francis in Assisi, and it's supposed to be the, the closest one to what Francis actually looked like. Those times of quiet, those times of being in the countryside, those times of prayer changed him and set him on a path that he could never turn back from. But there were other moments that changed him as well, like 
when uh, he was riding down the road on the Via Francesca, which is the road to France, at the bottom of the hill on which Assisi is built, there was a leper hospital there. Lepers were hated and despised. They were loathed and feared. And if you saw a leper, the leper was supposed to get off the road and you would move as far over to the other side of the road as possible, avert your eyes and cover your mouth with your hand. And Francis did that every time, except one time, one time he felt compelled to get off his horse, go and embrace that leper, and then kiss him as he gave a coin. There are many versions of that story, but the version I like the most is as Francis rode off down the road, he looked back and the, front, the leper was no longer there. In his place stood the crucified and risen Christ. In the most hated and despised people of his time, he found Christ. And so he spent many hours volunteering his time at that leper hospital, as did his early brothers, learning to find Christ in the most hated of his time. There's the famous story of when he prayed in the broken down church of San Damiano down the hill from Assisi before the crucifix there, a strange crucifix of the Byzantine style, both crucified and resurrected Christ on the cross. And as he prayed before that cross, he heard Christ say to him, Francis, you see my church has fallen down. Rebuild my church. Francis thought that meant rebuild that church. So he went off and sold some of his father's cloth and then gave, tried to give the money to the priest to rebuild the church. The priest went, I know about your father. I'm not having a bar of this, thank you very much. So Francis used the money to buy building supplies. This didn't go down well with his dad. And so, long story short, he immediately got dragged before the bishop to be ordered to hand back the money and to come and resume his life learning to be a cloth merchant. Before the bishop could respond, and this is out in the public in the piazza of San Rufino, the cathedral of Assisi, Francis stripped all his clothes off and said, I do not have the money. This is all I have that is yours. I return it to you in full. From this day forth, I do not call you father but only my Father in heaven. It's a tragic story of broken relationships that were never healed. The bishop placed his cloak around Francis in part because he was naked, but also because he was offering the church's protection. Francis became a beggar, and he begged for his food, and he begged for materials to rebuild churches. San Damiano, San Pietro, and the Portiuncula down on the plain below Assisi. It was there on the 24th of February, the Feast of St. Matthias in 1208, that he heard the Gospel. Jesus sending out his disciples, ordered to not take staff, to not wear sandals, no spare tunics, and to not wear a money belt. Francis at last had his calling. He cast off his money belt and he took on the cincture, which eventually had three knots in it, of poverty, chastity, and obedience. And he found his lady, Lady Poverty. The rest of his life was lived pursuing her. There are many other stories about Francis, but they all have a few themes in them. One of those themes is that Francis was overwhelmed by the transcendence of God. While we might use lofty titles for God like God our Father or Father God, Creator God, 
Francis would start prayers and poems with titles like, O Most God, O God Most High, Omnipotent, Good Lord. As he had sat in the countryside for so many hours, he had become aware of how vast and great God was, the source of all being, beyond all. And yet, despite that, as he had prayed before that crucifix, he had known the imminence of God in Jesus. He had known how deeply and profoundly he was loved. And as he stood in the glare of that love, he knew how deeply unworthy he was of that love. And how there was nothing he could do that could ever earn that love. No matter how much penance, no matter how much praying and fasting, no matter how much living in the life of service to God, he could never earn that love. It was given to him despite who he was. He was held in love. And because of the glare of that love, he knew that he was the greatest of all sinners. And as the greatest of all sinners, he was not above or better than anyone else. He was not more deserving than anyone else. And so if he was loved by God, so were all people, whoever they were. And so was all creation. This creation that spoke to him, both of the imminence and transcendence of God. That allowed him, 800 years ago, to go and visit another of the great despised of his time, the armies of Islam in Egypt. He joined the Fifth Crusade, but not as a warrior, not as a fighter, as a man of peace. And he crossed the Crusader lines to visit the Sultan, the military head of the Islamic world, surrounded by Christian crusaders hell-bent on his head. And Francis went to that man because that man was as loved by God as he, Francis, was. And he went in peace. So what does all that mean for me at Lent as a Franciscan? I'm getting there. Well, Francis's life was lived in response to this love. In response. Not to earn it, not to deserve it, but in response. When his first follower invited him for dinner, Bernard was Bernard of Quinterville was one of the wealthiest men in Assisi. And he wanted to know more about this man who had known as this playboy, but now was this, this beggar who was attracting attention. And so I invited him to dinner and was appalled when Francis once served his meal, took it out to the doors to give to the poor, because how could he, Francis, eat when they were hungry? And then during the night, Bernard pretended to be asleep so that he could watch what Francis did. And Francis, once he thought Bernard was asleep, got up and prayed all night, praying, my God and my all. And in the morning, Bernard said to him, I want to join you. What do I need to do? And Francis said, well, we need to go and see the priest. And he will read from the Gospels. And they went to the priest, and the priest opened the Gospels from three places. And in each place it said, go, sell all that you have, and give to the poor, and come follow me. So Bernard did that. He sold all that he had gave to the poor, and followed Francis. For Francis, the response was easy. You lived the gospel. 
And when he went to see the Pope to have his little group of men authorised so they didn't get called heretics and killed, the Pope said, well, where is your rule? And Francis gave him a rule and it was just a collection of gospel readings. Because for Francis, to respond to this love meant to live the gospel. The gospel as found in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And the Pope said, are you crazy? Who can do this? This is outrageous. It's too hard. Go away. Start again. And if we're honest, if you've been using the RCL over the last few weeks and been listening to Luke's version of Jesus' Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Plain, those were hard teachings. Really hard teachings to actually live out in our everyday lives. So the first thing is, do I live the gospel? Do I live as Francis invites us to? Another question I might ask myself is, is my God as big as Francis thought God was? Or have, over the last year, I shrunk God down to something that I can understand and control and, well, make in my own image? How small is my God? And another question I might ask myself is, am I the greatest of all sinners? Or, I have a lofty title. Does that make me more important, more worthy than other people? I'm a priest. Does that make me more worthy than other people? I have so many degrees, I've run out of water for them on. Does that make me more worthy than other people? Or am I really the greatest of all sinners, like my father Francis? Am I more deserving than criminals, child rapists, murderers, other people we might look down our noses at? Or am I the greatest of all sinners? Who do I see or treat as less deserving than me? Who do I name as outside of God's compassion and love? Do I live in response to God's love? Or do I live trying to earn God's love? That's a really important question as we come to Lent. Because we're about to come into a time where traditionally we do prayer and fasting and almsgiving. When I pray more, am I trying to be a more holy person? Why am I praying more? Is it to be a better Christian? Or is it to place myself in stillness in the love of God? So that I might be shaped by that love and respond to that love. As I fast, as I give up chocolate and coffee. Yeah, who am I kidding? I'm never giving up coffee. <laughs> chocolate, maybe. Do I do that? Why do I do that? Because it's habit? Because that's what we've always done? Do I do it so that I might be a better person? A holier person? Or do I do it because, like Francis, I realise that there are many things in my life that get between me and being able to respond to God's love. That stop me knowing God's love and responding to God's love. There are many things in my life that stop me from being as compassionate as God. And if I'm honest... 
I live a comfortable, western, white, middle-class existence built on the poverty of others here in this country and around the world. Maybe my fasting is about looking at that and acknowledging that and letting go of some of those things. And lastly, almsgiving. Do I, do I do that out of a sense of superiority? Here I am, this lovely, noble person, and I'm charitably giving you money. Aren't I a noble and wonderful person? Or do I do it because I have been held in God's generous love and in response to that, I too will be generous because there is no other way if we truly want to respond to this love. And the last thing, maybe a more controversial one. Us Franciscans have, well, a different way of seeing God's creation than many other Christians. We know that this is God's gift to us. God's gift for us out of God's generosity. And we are to be stewards of this world. How then do I respond when we seem to be so deliberate through climate warming, through climate change, in unravelling the web of life on this world that God has given us? What in my life, what in my life contributes to that? And how might I change some aspects of that? What in my silence contributes to that? And how might I contribute to us acknowledging that this is not our place to use and abuse as we wish? This is God's world. And if we are to acknowledge it as God's world, we need to treat it as such. A final comment. Lent sometimes can be a time of being miserable, heavy going, walking towards Good Friday. For us as Franciscans, there can be no greater thing than walking towards great Good Friday. It is the day, the day that we celebrate all that God's love is. For Francis, the crucifixion was the perfect perfect image of God's love for us all. His greatest desire was to bodily know the love that was present in the crucifixion. And he was granted that two years before his death on the Feast of Holy Cross when he was granted the stigmata. And he carried the wounds of Christ for the last two years of his life, every day knowing God's love for all in his body. And Francis's response wasn't one of sorrow or mourning or being downhearted. It was joy. The only possible response was joy. Lent is a time of joy. So I pray this Lent that you may grow in joy. And whatever practices you seek to grow in, that you will find the joy of God. And that when you come to Good Friday, that great celebration, I pray that you will have the courage to stay there and not leap ahead to Easter Sunday, but stay in that moment of love, that you too may be overwhelmed by God's generous, compassionate love for you, for all people, and this wonderful world we live in.